It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello, everybody. I am Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented by Film Seizure. This week, I close out 2021 with the 1993 debut film from one of my favorite directors, Guillermo del Toro. And this movie is Kronos. Now, Kronos is a great encapsulation of various key themes that del Toro often likes to play with. First, there's a, a mythology or religious or something at least religious feeling about creatures and concepts and a wonderful balance between horror and drama. On top of that, Del Toro also likes to play around with the idea that sometimes characters can be larger than life, like comic book characters. Almost all of his movies have had that feel with characters. Sure, Blade II and the two Hellboy movies are direct adaptations of comic book characters, but there's a graphic novel feel to many of Del Toro's movies, like The Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, and Crimson Peak. It's almost like you are seeing artistic drawings and framing come to life. Pacific Rim, of course, then had giant robots and giant kaiju. I mean, come on. But on top of Del Toro's use of religious iconography or that sort of stuff that at least feels old and religious, even if not really part of any dogma or spiritual ritual, uh, he was raised Catholic. Now, which that will obviously will have some appearance in his movies, but he ultimately moved away from the Catholic faith because as he grew up and learned more about how he wanted to focus on art and the various uh, times in history that Catholicism uh, played a role in important conflicts that often they were on the wrong side of, uh, he said that in the long run, he really kind of believed art as his primary religion. And he's become a quote-unquote raging atheist in terms of your typical organized religions. Now, another usual trope that you'll see in Del Toro's films are that villains in his movies tend to be more authoritarian. He describes himself as being quote-unquote a little too liberal because he always returns to using people like Michael Shannon's unforgiving and authoritarian government agent in The Shape of Water or the Nazis in Hellboy or the Francoists in Pan's Labyrinth as well as being background threats in The Devil's Backbone or as in this movie you have a pair of industrialists. He says this comes from his absolute abhorrence to structure. He hates anything that, can, that can become institutionalized, be it social, religious, or economic. Often you find his protagonists being idealists or outsiders hopeful for a better life and so forth. Now, as for the events of this movie, we learned that in 1536, an alchemist, Falconelli, uh, fled from uh, the Inquisition, and he created a device called a Kronos. In 1937, a building collapses and the body of a man with really, really pale white marble-like skin is found. This man was the alchemist and he was killed by being impaled by a piece of the structure of the building that collapsed. It was never released what was found in his apartment, though we see a woman being bled out for several bowls and jars of her blood. The Kronos device was never seen on any manifest of the items from his apartment that were eventually auctioned. Now jump forward again to 1996 and we meet Jesus Gris. Uh, he's played by uh, Federico Lupi, who appeared in three of Del Toro's films. Uh, and he's an older gentleman who runs an antique shop. 
a uh, peculiar man shows up in the shop and starts looking at uh, some of the wrapped up statues of archangels. He's asked by Jesus if there's anything that he can help him with, but the man doesn't really say anything and just leaves. Later, one of the archangel statues that the guy was looking at uh, has a, a hole in its left eye and it starts producing cockroaches from the hole. Later, Jesus discovers that the base of this statue uh, is hollow. And when he pries the statue off of the base, he discovers uh, something hiding within that looks like this golden scarab that's uh, several hundred years old. We then meet Angel Della Guardia, played by Ron Perlman. Now, his uncle Dieter has been looking for Archangel statues, and he's been buying them up all over the country. He sends Angel to uh, the antique owner's shop, and he buys the Angel statue that had the bugs coming out of it and had the hollow base. Now, Angel leaves with the statue, but the scarab is not inside. Jesus has kept that scarab and has uh, kind of cleaning it and he notices that there's a like a winding uh, dial on it so he winds it up like a like a watch or a clock and uh, it causes the legs to kind of like pop out almost like a trick like it's a toy but then it also produces like needle sharp claws that grabs a hold of Jesus's hand he is ultimately able to get it off but he needs to have his wife stitch him up and she finds that there's a piece of one of the gold claws buried deep in his hand. That night, Jesus is restless and very thirsty. He drinks all of the water in the fridge, but it doesn't seem to sate his thirst. He stares at a bloody piece of meat in the fridge for several seconds. He's able to resist doing anything with that, but his hand is itching like crazy. He can't seem to get any rest either. He's compelled to put the scarab back on his hand. This time it produces another needle that digs into his wrist. Now inside the scarab, something is kind of feeding on the blood that's being collected from his wrist and it's moving around. Whatever the scarab does, it does end up giving Jesus more peace and comfort. However, his granddaughter Aurora sees that he's been using it again. Now, the next morning, Jesus looks younger and seems to be filled with more vitality. He even shaves his mustache. He also has a little light sensitivity, but I'm sure that's nothing big. But when he gets to his store, he finds the lock is broken and the place is trashed. Almost as a calling card, he finds a card for the De La Guardias. Now, Jesus goes to see Dieter and uh, Dieter tells him about the Kronos device. Dieter wants it to cure the cancer that's killing him, and he thinks that he's uh, getting this scarab from Jesus, but he's tricked, and Jesus rushes home and uh, is horrified when he doesn't find the scarab where he thinks he stashed it earlier. He knows that Aurora has done something with it, and when he goes to her little playhouse, uh, he tells her a story about how her father was at one point in time concerned with Jesus's smoking and that he only wanted to protect him. And it's a nice little scene between, uh, uh, between Jesus and his granddaughter where he's telling her that she's a lot like her own father. And it's, it's just a really, really nice scene. Um, 
But when she she eventually does give him the scare back, and we see him later using it almost like he's addicted to a drug. Now, getting ready for a New Year's Eve party, he discovers that after he uses the scarab that time on his chest, there's a sticky substance that coats one of the wounds from the scarab. And a few seconds later, all of the wounds from the various claws and needles have disappeared, having been fully healed. At the party, everything seems to be going really, really well. And Jesus and his wife are having a very romantic night. But Jesus sees someone with a bloody nose, and he's overcome with the desire to follow the man to the restroom. There, he waits for the man's blood to drip onto the counter before he decides to go and lick it up. However, before he's able to do that, another man in the restroom cleans it off before Jesus can do anything with it. But he does find some on the floor and licks it and takes quite a bit of pleasure in doing so. So much so, he doesn't notice that Angel has come into the bathroom and kicks him in the face to knock him out. Uh, outside in the car, uh, we have Angel who's trying to talk to Jesus about where the scarab is. Where can they get the device so that he can take it back to Dieter? In fact, he asks Jesus, what could an old man possibly want with the device? And he tells him or he tells angel that Dieter thinks it will help him live longer now after beating jesus up pretty well to the point that he passes out angel decides to put jesus in the trunk of his car and push it off a cliff and jesus prays for survival but apparently dies he does revive several days later in the crematorium before he's uh, burned in his casket um he finds a paper in the trash as he looks for something to keep him warm and finds an announcement in the paper talking about how he has died. He tries calling his wife, but she hangs up on him. He walks all the way home and Aurora opens the door for him and gives him a towel to dry himself off. In the morning, he starts using the scarab again, but realizes whenever sunlight touches him, he begins to burn. It's so bad that he ends up having to sleep in Aurora's toy box to avoid the rays of sunlight until he can safely come out at night. Jesus tries to write a letter to his wife about how he somehow is still alive. However, his appearance is starting to get weird as if he's deteriorating. He decides to take the scarab to Dieter. And Aurora follows him despite being told not to. And when they sneak into Dieter's headquarters looking for more information about what this device is doing to him, Dieter wakes up and tells him to just peel the rotting flesh off his face. And underneath it, Jesus finds the same white skin that the alchemist had in the 30s. Dieter tells him that Jesus will gain e an eternity of life via the drinking of human blood and jesus really doesn't want this he doesn't want to live forever but uh, dieter says that there is a way out of it if he doesn't want his immortality but he won't tell him what it is unless he hands over the device jesus offers up the scarab but dieter just decides to stab him with a knife instead before he can cut his heart out Aurora saves Jesus by knocking Dieter out with one of his own canes. Jesus feeds on Dieter's blood, and he and Aurora hides out before Angel comes up in the elevator to Dieter's room. 
Tired of his uncle's abuse, Angel crushes Dieter's throat with his foot. Jesus hits Angel with a cane and leads him up to the roof where he hopes that he can escape with Angel or with uh, Aurora. But Angel catches up with him and beats Jesus viciously. But Jesus is able to throw both himself and Angel off the roof where Angel ultimately dies. Aurora is able to use the device to revive Jesus. When he sees that Aurora's hand is bleeding, Jesus considers feeding from his own granddaughter, but resists. He then destroys the device, and he thinks this will ultimately kill him, but it doesn't. He thinks that God maybe saved him for some reason, and he decides to go home and falls asleep, hoping that he'll be free from the effects of the device while his granddaughter and wife are by his side. Now let's get to the three things that I like about Kronos. First up, there's a great deal of lighthearted humor in this. In fact, I'd label this movie almost as a black comedy. Uh, everything about Ron Perlman's performance as a well-meaning but dim-witted and abused Angel de la Guardia is amazing. He is obsessed with getting... Uh, you know, plastic surgery to get a new nose. But oftentimes, whenever he's hit, he it breaks his nose and he gets frustrated with that. But um, at one point, uh, you know, he's only really kind of, he, you know, putting up with the abuse that his uncle gives him because he knows that he'll gain his uncle's inheritance if he just outlives him. And at one point, he's trying to relax and listen to a tape about plastic surgery and what the effect would be. And he gets buzzed by his uncle, which causes him to immediately fly into an obscenity-fueled rant before he responds very calmly and lovingly to his uncle. Then, uh, after he supposedly uh, kills Jesus, the scene with the Undertaker uh, preparing the body for its showing is treated like the guy is creating art but we see later that jesus looks like an absolute clown uh just before he lights the the crematorium burners the uh, the undertaker even wipes the make off makeup off of jesus's face saying he doesn't want to send them to heaven look like he's been out whoring it's just incredibly funny and a perfect stroke of comedy in this otherwise um kind of dramatic movie Second, uh, I really like Federico Lupi's performance as Jesus in this. We saw him a few weeks ago as Dr. Uh, Caceres in The Devil's Backbone. He was brilliant in that, too. Um, while in The Devil's Backbone, you know, he kind of played the doctor seemingly like the steady heart of the movie. He, he was a man of morals and conviction. His only detriment was his age. Uh, in Kronos, he feels more feeble and weaker most of the time. He is definitely playing older at the beginning, and he's a tragic character because he kind of becomes enslaved by the device when he accidentally activates it. He does get a little stronger when he goes to the New Year's Eve party, uh, but that's fleeting because soon he's you know getting beaten up and, and ultimately killed by Angel. Uh, he is ultimately able to defeat both the uh, De La Guardias and destroys the device to free himself, but I don't think that leads to a really happy ending where he's freed from the effects of the device. Uh, when we see him last, he's being hugged by his granddaughter while he's lying in bed with the morning sun coming into the room. Um, he's holding his wife's hand 
he's not burning like he did earlier when in sunlight, but when he lets go of his wife's hand, it just kind of remains motionless. I really think he died, but he died still as himself in his mind and soul, even if his body had changed. It's a, it's a compelling character that you really like and really sympathize with from start to finish. Thirdly, I really like this very original take on vampires. In a way, it feels a little like the 1977 version of Rabid, where uh, vampirism comes from a different source than someone like Dracula. It's uh, kind of like how old legends went that uh, people felt like they, if they bathed in blood, they would gain longer, more virile lives. Um, it's kind of the same concept, except you are digesting blood in this. Uh, what's the bug inside the Kronos device? I, I don't know. It's gross. It's obviously does something to the host, but it ultimately doesn't matter. It's what powers the device. That's all. Um, it's a sort of parasitic relationship that the bug has with the one using the device. And then that user has a parasitic relationship with other people. Uh, it's not fangs and supernatural stuff. It's a little bit more of a viral or disease-like vampirism, which also goes back to some of the older vampire concepts like in Bram Stoker's Dracula novel and such. I, I like it when we can play around with the classic monster concepts like this. Well, that wraps up this episode of Monster Mondays. Don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday on FilmSeizure.com, as well as places where fine podcasts are found, like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible, and Spotify. Additionally, hop on over to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and follow Film Seizure by searching for just that, Film Seizure. And while you're at it, you can head over to my website, bmovieanima.com, and read new text articles each and every Friday. You can also follow bmovieanima on Facebook and Twitter by searching for just that, bmovieanima. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and go over to YouTube and subscribe to the B Movie Enema channel where you can find episodes of the movie hosting show that I do and see a bunch of clips that I grab and use for articles. So, until next week, stay spooky.